welcome back finally to Watched Once Never Again, the podcast where we insist upon disturbing ourselves. Insist upon? Upon's not the right word. Um, so that insist you don't on. have to. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> um, I'm Dax, still. And I'm Mary Beth, still. And I'm so excited back, to be talking bitches. to you again. Me too. You know, I mean, like, not, not like we don't text, but still. Yeah, but the listeners don't know our, the nature of our relationship. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Dax and I only speak on the podcast. We never speak. We are not friends. <laughs> <laughs> Though we we really didn't know each other before the podcast. That's like, true. Not very well. That's true. That's what happened with me and Terry, too. Like, didn't really know them. And now we're, like, really close. So... Thank you, podcasting and the internet, for bringing me closer to people who I very much love and enjoy. <laughs> yeah. Do you think we're talking too much for the liking of that person? <laughs> who uh, That dude. It's like a daytime talk show, but terrible. First of all, um, daytime talk shows like The View, entertaining. So what's yeah, going Yeah, I was going to say, like, Bad taste. I don't see anything. Yeah, well, that's fine. It's, this anyway. is like my only interaction in the week. I'm not kidding. So, because I'm so busy all the time. So, um, if y'all don't like it, which most of you, it sounds like you do, um, you don't have to listen. Like, yeah, you I, don't have I to. could have been mean about it, but no, it's it's fine. Well, You're allowed, I feel like it's a rite of passage like to get a one star review, though. You know what I mean? Like it is yeah. a rite of passage in podcasting. So you know what? We achieved something good for I'm, us <laughs> i'm just excited we got more reviews we fucking asked for more reviews so like good bad or ugly like please like it really does actually help the podcast if you leave i mean i would prefer like a four or five star review obviously <laughs> but it does help us reach other ears which is um a goal that we have it sounds like we're always like um laid back about <laughs> about it but we do have goals you know. We do have goals. Also, guys, um, we're plugging this now. Spotify, you can rate podcasts. So if you haven't, rate us on Spotify. Even if you've already rated us on Apple, give us a little something on Spotify. I know there's a lot of problems with Spotify right now with yeah. all of the things. But if you still use it and want to give us a rating, that'd be great. But I also understand if you don't want to use Spotify. So, you know, whatever you feel comfortable with. Basically, all of the choices are yours. Right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's That's all what... in your hands all we can do is ask <laughs> exactly uh well do you want to just get right and not because that fucking user told us to do you want to just get right into it yes i do i would love to so dax we are starting a new series um that you are very excited about so what what is our new series our director series guys we're doing another director series Yes, um, our new series for the next few, and few is like an understatement, uh, <laughs> weeks, <laughs> is going, it, it's going to be all about Lars von Trier, and uh, I think we picked five of his movies to talk about. Yes, we are not doing, like he, if you guys don't know, he has multiple trilogies of movies, but we are just going to pick five of them because there are so many and they're so goddamn long. So we are kind of going in order between the Golden Heart trilogy and the Depression trilogy, just because there's so many movies. And I just, I think we need to be careful and not like totally overload ourselves with watching his nihilistic works. Yeah. And um, I think that the five that we chose, which we can talk about, I think that they best first of all they're all probably the most disturbing ones and i think that they kind of just exhibit like the the best of Lars von Trier like him at his like you know him at his, him at his best, best and him and at his weirdest at, yeah they like most showcase what he's all about so and and <laughs> i mean i am excited but i'm okay like you guys don't have to call like authorities or anything like the reason i'm so excited and i think that that joke will make more sense after the series for anyone one fucking one <laughs> for anybody who's not familiar with his work um lars von trier actually the next movie we do is the is was what finally made me be like i have to to make a podcast about these kinds of fucking movies because i have to talk about them and nobody else really is 
doing it. So I guess I just have to fucking do it. And <laughs> so really, I guess what I'm saying is you can thank Laura's Von Trier for our friendship. Interesting. Wow. And Bjork. Wow. And Bjork. So but just real quick before we dive into him, I do want to acknowledge that he has a lot of problems. Just to get this out of the way, because we I want to acknowledge it. Um, one, he and we'll talk about this more dancer in the dark, but he did some fucked up things to Bjork. He has kind of a reputation of being very intense with his actors to the point of abuse. And also he um, made some very strange comments at Cannes about Nazis and Hitler, which got him banned from Cannes until he released um, The House That Jack Built. So he's just a weird dude who says and does some fucked up stuff. So just wanted to like acknowledge that off the top when we're talking about him. He's a weirdo and says some weird shit. Yeah, and we obviously don't condone those things like you can't just abuse your actors we've we've talked about that with other directors um you can't i mean you i guess you can physically say whatever you want but other people have the right to not like it or be offended Uh, people don't like the word offensive or offended but like you can be offended it's it's not a bad thing so yeah um yeah he called himself a nazi I'm just looking it up to make sure I have it right. He called himself a Nazi and that he understands Hitler. It sounds like at the, he was releasing like, how do I end this sentence? And it sounds like maybe he put his foot in his mouth in the worst way humanly fucking possible. <laughs> you can see a video of it because uh, Kristen Dunst is next to Yes! <laughs> Her faces are like, what am I doing here? She's like, oh, fuck. <laughs> yeah. It's all going so well. It was, I know. But yeah, so before, uh, yeah, now we can jump into like details, but you know, just getting that out of the way. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I, that actually is a really good segue because before we get to his movies, we're not going to go on and on about it. But I think one really important facet of his life to kind of understand, which I really think informs a lot of his work, is that his father that he grew up with was not his biological father and he did not Mm -hmm. know that until his mother was on her deathbed and she revealed it to him so he thought that he was raised by uh like his he thought that his biological father was a jewish man and it turned out that his biological father was like a german man and that was the basis of that really terrible unfunny joke yes he was like, I'm a not, I'm actually a Nazi, not a Jew. And I was like, I don't, oh, okay. Yeah. And like, it's not cool. And, and it wasn't funny. Um, it didn't even have that going for it. So I think that that pain that he, f- or it's not only pain, but also uh, deception that he, he felt about that situation i think you can really see it in his work because it's like an ongoing theme that we're we're gonna talk about in these next few movies um where there is someone with ulterior motives as sort of like an authority figure in a way and um they're kind of leading like an a more innocent person astray you know what I mean? And I yeah. I think, and do I necessarily, I, I mean, I don't want to like minimize his like feelings, but um, do I necessarily think that, I, I don't know, I've never been in that situation, but it doesn't seem like she did it to be hurtful. In fact, I think there's, um, I think there's some quote uh, that he gives from his mother saying that she did it to help him be more um, artistic in his work which sounds kind of made up but i wasn't fucking there (laughs) sounds fake but okay (laughs) yeah but i think that he well i guess what i'm to clarify i guess what i'm saying is that he found it to be more malicious than i think she actually meant it to be and Mm -hmm. that malice you can kind of see it in his work yes well i yeah (laughs) that was like really definitive and i don't even know if i 100% believe it definitively. But uh, I feel like it's good context for, like, why he is the way that he is. Maybe. Because, like, also, he has a lot of, like, mental illnesses. And, like, he suffers from depression. And he's terrified of everything, apparently. And, like, 
he has a lot of stuff going on. Various fears and phobias is what it says on Wikipedia. And he is terrified of flying, so every all of his movies have to be made in Denmark or Sweden because he refuses to fly because he's so scared. I think he doesn't really travel at all. I think I read yeah. that somewhere. He really does not yeah, travel. Yeah, because he's so scared of flying, which is wild. But... I also wanted to talk about, like, kind of his influence on film, not just, like, in the specific movies he makes, but in his um, in his involvement with the film movement called Dogma 95, which I know that you really want to talk about. But do you want to introduce it, or do you want me to introduce it? No, like, go ahead. What's... You're on a roll. So Dogma 95 was a filmmaking movement started in 1995, um, started by Lars von Trier and Thomas Vinterberg, if y'all know him from a couple. He's um pretty well-known he made another another round, which is um, which made made the rounds. Haha, I think last year because it was um, Mads Mikkelsen stars in it, and he's in a couple other movies with Mads Mikkelsen. But he also did a movie called The Celebration that I saw in college, which is really good but really fucked up. But it's the Dogma ninety five part of the Dogma ninety five manifesto, and it's very much like it's like trying to kind of like it's like a very realistic way of filming. Can't really use lighting. It's not genre. Camera must be handheld. It must be in color, no filters. It's all like just very raw, basically, in how they make it. There's no special effects. It's very low budget. Everything must be done on location. No non-diegetic uh, music. Yeah. Or, or sounds. Yeah. So it's very much like trimmed down filmmaking. And it's like the celebration is incredible. And then Breaking the Ways, which we're talking about today, it's not totally Dogma 95, but it has a lot of those aspects. So it's pretty it's like not there's not a lot of movies it's uh, i think there's 31 it's, i think the internet says there's like 31 or less that have been made with that style because it's so restrictive in terms of um like the experimental way of doing it and like vinterberg like and barn Trier didn't always adhere to that but they were the ones that started this movement and trying to like basically pushed back against the Hollywood system of making movies, which is, I think, really interesting. And I know that you've talked a lot about it in one of your classes, right? Yeah, my writing class, actually, we're, we're analyzing um, the, I guess, anti-Dogma 95 manifesto by Joe Godmillow. Um, mm. If you've ever read that, we're called Kill the Documentary, as we know it. And Oh, I've never read that before. Yeah, so I found it interesting timing that we started doing that right before we were starting our Lars von Trier series. Mm. And like, I get to talk about Lars von Trier in class a little bit, not that much, but a little bit, which is exciting to me as someone who finds him very complicated, but interesting. And I like his movies, but like, do I like his movies? I guess we'll find out. <laughs> <laughs> I do find the Dogma 95 manifesto. It, it almost seems like a joke, to be honest with you. Yes. Especially because, like, Harmony Corinne is involved with it. Yeah. And... Julian Donkey Boy is one of the ones listed. Yeah, and, I, and we will eventually talk about um, at least one of his movies. Gummo? I was going to say kids, so two oh, of them. kids. Oh, I forgot that Harmony Corinne did kids. Um, he at least wrote it. Um, yeah, so I, I find Dogma 95 really interesting. and It's incredibly pretentious. Well, that's the thing, right? <laughs> I think that's why I find it so interesting. Because it's like, what the fuck are you talking about? Like, nobody... Well, the whole, I think, point of it, like you said, was to push back against the Hollywood system and kind of keep creative control for filmmakers but at the same time it's like <laughs> that's really not creative control it's just control yeah you know exactly. um which i find interesting especially given the next few films we will talk about yeah i think it's interesting i think it's like it's i think it's really fascinating to see some of the earlier films that are a part of it as like in the celebration that again i enjoyed in terms of like how it's filmed and they're all very not just raw in terms of how it's filmed but like emotionally raw and again like they do have like a documentary type feel to them because and like you know me and found footage but like it does have like that found footage vibe because it's all handheld cameras and like it's not non-diegetic music and it, obviously it's not framed as found footage but it has that kind of feel to it so it's really interesting 
And it's like, it's protagonist as shit. And the movement broke up in 2005 because I think they realized, like, this is not necessarily the most sustainable model for making movies. Um, right. <laughs> but, yeah, it's an interesting kind of movement that I think provides a lot of context to how Von Trier made at least some of his earlier movies, um, as opposed to his later movies, which are very different from <laughs> Dogma 95. Um and again, like the movie, two of the movies we're talking about earlier aren't necessarily Dogma 95, but they follow similar beats and like types of um, filmmaking styles. That's actually a good segue into me just revealing to you that I needed to take Dramamine within five minutes of starting this movie. <laughs> oh, really? Yes, I know you're the found footage queen, so I think you can probably handle shaky cam more than I can. But you've told me this before, yeah. and like I get it. It's it's a lot. It is a lot. It's so much. Yeah, I I don't know why I didn't expect. So I had never seen this movie before. Had you? No, and so we're transitioning into Breaking the Waves, which is um his 1996 film starring Emily Watson and Stellan Skarsgård. Yeah, his like breakout film, I think. Right. Um. Kind of I believe so. He, I think he was already on the map, but this is the one where it's like, okay, this is like his style. This is what he's going to be going for um, in terms of like filmmaking, but also just like how he wants to, in terms of how he wants the audience to react emotionally. I think this is a really good starting point, Breaking the Waves, because it's going to it's not only probably the tamest one we're going to watch so it's a nice little which is fucking saying something <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like a dipping your whole foot i guess into like the water yeah and like ice cold like ice cold water <laughs> where you're like this isn't terrible but it's really uncomfortable <laughs> it's gonna in, inform some of the beats we're gonna notice throughout the series so yeah, <laughs> yeah. uh we put this on the list on a whim I had seen someone say it was one of the most disturbing and heartbreaking films they had ever seen. And I I told you last night, I was like, I'll be the judge. <laughs> yeah, I don't necessarily think it's disturbing, but it's definitely upsetting. Well, that was going to be my next question. Did you think it was disturbing? And I don't. I do not think it's disturbing. I could see why someone might think that, but I really don't. Like, in terms of how we're defining disturbing, I don't think so. I think it's really upsetting, and I think it's really tragic and sad. And I don't think people would necessarily want to watch this multiple times due to, like, the emotional kind of turmoil that goes on in this movie. But it's not disturbing. I don't believe so. Yeah. So, heads up, neither of us thinks it's really disturbing. I could probably watch it again and be like fine like i was fine yesterday um when i watched it for the first time but that being said we will get into the plot and if that sounds like something you do not want to watch don't watch it because I, maybe you're and i'm not saying this pejoratively maybe you're a bit more sensitive than like i am i do host a disturbing movie podcast so that's something yeah, exactly. I was texting, we were texting about this. I was like, our view of what's disturbing is probably pretty skewed <laughs> compared to most people's, but... I'm very good at compartmentalizing. I was actually talking to my therapist about this. I'm very good at compartmentalizing movies. Um, like, mm, I still, okay. like, I would not say I'm desensitized um, at all, really. I I still do get hit emotionally or like something can disgust me or even scare me i'm i feel very lucky that i can still feel those things given how many movies i watch all the time and like have watched but i i can put it away if i need to and and yeah. part of that is that i just fill my life with so many obligations that i don't have a second to think about something disturbing <laughs> <laughs> that's healthy that's the secret incredibly healthy it's the secret. I forget what I was saying before. I think I was making a point, but I don't remember. Oh, just about how like this could be disturbing to someone else who isn't no. inundating themselves with weird movies. Yeah, it, it was before that. It was before the train oh. went by. Before, oh, sorry. It doesn't matter. <laughs> who cares? It'll come up again if it's important. Um, do you want to get into the plot of this movie? Yes. I do. So this is just the, again, plot from Wikipedia, but this is the overview of the entire movie. Um, 
just so everyone knows, there um, just some content warnings for sexual assault discussions. And um, yeah, I think that's the big one. Oh, I remember what I was saying. Oh, what were you saying? Just real quick. I was just saying that um, I didn't, I don't know why I didn't expect for it to be so shaky, but I guess it's because I, I didn't know it was filmed with um, handheld camera. So mm, I guess that's okay. kind of relating to the Dogma 95 style, even though we have established like four times that this is not a Dogma 95 movie. <laughs> um, that was yes. important, so you can take it out. <laughs> Please continue. <laughs> Um, okay, so here's the plot for Breaking the Waves. Bess McNeil, played by Emily Watson, not Emma Watson, Emily Watson, <laughs> is a young and beautiful Scottish woman who has in the past been subjected to unenlightenment, unenlightened, in an interesting word, psychiatric treatment, in quotes. She marries oil rig worker Jan Nyman, played by Stellan Skarsgård, a Danish non-churchgoer, despite disapproval from her community and her free Scottish Presbyterian Calvinist church. Bess is steadfast and pure of heart, but quite simple and childlike in her beliefs. Uh, I have a lot of feelings about that description. Um, During her frequent visits to the church, she prays to God and carries on conversations with him in her own voice, believing that he is responding directly through her. I also have thoughts about that. Bess has difficulty living without Jan while he is away on the oil platform. Jan makes occasional phone calls to Bess in which they express their love and sexual desires. Bess grows needy and prays for his immediate return. The next day, Jan is severely injured in in an industrial accident and is flown back to the mainland. Bess believes her prayer was the reason the accident occurred, that God was punishing her for her selfishness and asking for him to neglect his job and come back to her. No longer able to perform sexually and mentally affected by the paralysis, Jan asks Beth to find a lover. Bess is devastated and storms out. Jan then attempts to commit suicide and fails. (laughs) He falls unconscious and is readmitted to the hospital. Jan's condition deteriorates. He urges Bess to find another lover and tell him the details, as it will be as if they are together and will revitalize his spirits. Though her sister-in-law Dodo consistently, constantly reassures her that nothing she does will affect his recovery, Bess begins to believe these suggestions are the will of God and in accordance with loving Jan wholly. Despite her repulsion and inner turmoil to be with other men, she perseveres in her own sexual debasement as she believes it will save her husband. Bess throws herself at Jan's doctor, but when she rebuffs her, she takes on picking up men off the street and allowing herself to be brutalized in increasingly cruel sexual encounters. The entire village is scandalized by these doings, and Bess is excommunicated. In the face of being cast off from her church, she complains, she proclaims, you cannot love words, you cannot be in love with the word, you can only love a human being. Dodo and Jan's doctor agree the only way to keep Bess safe from herself is to have her committed and as far away from her husband as possible. Gross. It is then that Beth decides to make what she thinks is the ultimate sacrifice for Jan. She unflinchingly goes out to a derelict ship full of barbarous sailors, who violently gang rape and attack her, causing her death. The church refuses to hold a funeral for her, deeming her soul to be lost and hellbound. Unbeknownst to the church elders, Jan and his friends have substituted bags of sand for Bess's body inside the sealed coffin. Jan is later shown substantially restored to health despite the doctors not having thought it possible, burying Bess in the ocean deep in grave. The film ends in magical realism as Bess's body is nowhere to be seen in the sonar and church bells ring from high on the sky. Woo! It's heavy. Like, we say it's not disturbing, but that does not mean that it's not fucking heavy subject matter. Like, it's a, it's tragic. <laughs> I said that before, but I'm saying it again. This movie is a fucking tragic. And I do want to clarify that we said it's not disturbing, and then you explain that she is gang raped um you do not see it it is you do not see it yes you don't like yeah they don't make it like it's not like a big scene you just you see her going up to the ship and then her getting taken to the hospital so none of that is on on camera so obviously we would obviously think that is horrifying if we did actually see it I don't, it's disturbing that it's implied, but you are saved from seeing it. So I just wanted to clarify that, that we obviously both think that is horrible and disturbing. Yeah, exactly. But so, okay, so I have a lot of thoughts about this movie. Um, First of all, I, 
Von Trier is not my favorite person um, for a lot of reasons. I don't really like his newer stuff, um, which we'll talk about. But this movie kind of got me a little bit more liking him side. I think this is much less um, controversial, if that makes sense. Like, obviously, the subject matter is very intense, but this one is um, like a little bit more kind of like straightforward-ish. And I think the filmmaking is incredible. And I think the writing is incredible. And, you know, unfortunately, he loves to kind of brutalize women in his movies. But this one is like Emily Watson's performance is incredible. And what I love about this is that this could have very easily become a movie where Jan is taking advantage of Bess. But what you see here is like a genuine connection. And like, you know, I, I didn't get the vibe necessarily that he was taking advantage of her, but like he actually loved her. And everyone is like, he's taking advantage of you, blah, blah, blah. But there's like a genuine love between the two of them. And while like she's very, very in love with him, I think he reciprocates that in a way, in a way that you wouldn't expect in a movie like this, I think. Um, I was kind of I was excited by that because in this entire movie, you know, you see her church treating women like sh- it's like very antiquated the way the church is like <laughs> women can't speak in the church. Women can't go to funerals like it's very archaic. But this takes place like in the 90s, I think in the 90s. So like this isn't a period piece, but it feels like a period piece at times and how she's treated and how everyone talks down to her. And like, this whole movie is like Bess is mentally ill. And like in this description, they called her like simple and childlike. And I think that's so demeaning. I think she's a woman who has a lot of anxiety and is very sheltered and people see her as childlike and infantilize her when really like she just wants love. And like, obviously she throws herself into her relationship in a rather like you would think immature way, but she's never had love before. And this whole movie And it's tragic in its ending, but it's like her kind of trying to free herself from these constraints in a fucked up way. But I just think that she is treated like such shit in this movie. And Jan is the first person to make her feel like she matters. And I don't know. I think that there's some really interesting things going on here with like gender expectations and how you treat women you say are hysterical and how, you know, this doctor... Dr. Richardson, I think, is like, I can save her and like has that whole vibe of like, I know what's best for this simple woman. I'm going to have her committed. And it's just very frustrating, but very fascinating. <laughs> and those are all I my hope thoughts not all of your movie. thoughts. <laughs> no, no, it's not all of them, but that's like a kind of an overarching kind of thing that I was thinking about a lot with this movie. Yeah. Well, I agree with a lot of that. I disagree with some of it, I think, to an extent, um, which I want to parse out, I guess, right now. Um, First of all, I thought this took place in the 70s for some reason. I don't know if it did or didn't. Oh, it might be 70s. They've got 70s vibes. I don't know. They don't really establish it, but it's like contemporary-ish for when it was released. Either way, I I don't think it necessarily matters, but I think that it's interesting the use of... So so when it opens, she's kind of advocating for herself that she wants to marry, I think, someone outside of the church. I think I'm pretty sure that's what they're getting at. Yeah, Jan Jan's outside of the church and like not one of them, like one of their weird insular community members. In fact, I think he's atheist. I believe so. I, I yeah. don't think it's necessarily established, but I think that he is sort of uh he's like a stand-in for Von Trier himself. And I believe that Von Trier is possibly an atheist. I feel like I read that before. That wouldn't surprise me. Yeah. And I, I think his, I think this movie wrestles with his ideas of religion a lot, but I, so she's advocating for herself to leave the church. It actually really, or not leave the church to marry an outsider of the church. And it reminded me of like the opening scene of the witch, you know, where, Oh, interesting. The, yeah, the okay. family is... I, I mean, it's a uh, obviously contextually a bit different because in The Witch, they're, they want to leave because the church is not strict enough for them. And we... Imagine thinking that. <laughs> in Puritan New England or whatever it is. Um, Calvinist. I know someone's going to be like, it's Calvinism! Okay. So anyway... <laughs> And I like that it starts out with that because throughout the movie, like you're saying, we see that the church 
it is very archaic. They, women are not even allowed to speak in that church, yep. which comes into play later. And I like that, What why I was saying, I don't think it necessarily matters if it's the 70s or the 90s. I think that just the use of the music when it's giving the chapters is reminding you, hey, this isn't actually the 1700s. It's like right now. Yeah. It's yeah, today. Yeah, 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 Men yeah, yeah, are yeah. still shitty today. Um, <laughs> which I find very fascinating coming from him. I also... So, I don't know how to necessarily word it. They... <laughs> I think that Bess was supposed to be slow, right? That they say... Yeah, like a lip. They say it without saying it. Yeah. Like, I think yeah. that's why she's acting so childlike. And... Um, her, you know, her sister says that she doesn't move away so she can help take care of her. The, I mean, even in that opening scene, when she's saying she wants to marry Jan, they straight up say, do you even know what matrimony is? Which is interesting because she she obviously knows she wants to marry someone, right? Well, and this, is this is what frustrates me about this movie. Like, or not this movie, but like the way people act with her. Because like, maybe I kind of got the vibe that like, Maybe she is a little bit, like, you know, neurodivergent. But at the same time, I feel like they treat her like she's a fucking moron when she's not a fucking moron. And that frustrates me when, like, I think she's much more aware of the world than they give her credit for. And they just automatically assume that she has no idea, like, what's going on. But despite, like, maybe she's a little bit more naive and childish, she still knows what she's doing. Like, she has, like, more awareness than they give her credit for which i think is the point of a lot a big a big point of the movie but it frustrates me to no end to see them like infantilize her and not think like maybe she can make decisions and like just because she might be a little bit different doesn't mean she's a moron and doesn't know the ways of the world and like i don't know i don't know maybe i'm talking out of my ass and i'm just giving her more credit but like anyway (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Sorry, I'm on my high. I just no, like have I so don't... many thoughts about this movie and how they treat her. And I don't think you're talking out of your ass. They do infantilize her, like regardless of whether or not she's neurodivergent. They infantilize her. Like that is a fact. You can see it. They often say it. I mean, her sister has a talk with Jan and is like, "My sister is very easily manipulated. You can get her to do anything you want," which actually brings me to my next point i think i read this differently than you um than you read it because at first i did think he was taking advantage of her Mm, it did it did seem to me like he had some weird insidious like plan to make like take away her innocence and 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 you can actually see it in the part where you know it's right after their wedding they're at the wedding reception and like they have sex i mean she has sex for the very first time with him and but i guess as a couple they have sex for the first time and he's obviously more experienced and he's i think caring but not like as gentle as you would think he would be given that she she literally says i don't know what to do or like what do i do Mm -hmm. um and then after it's done he's like oh you have blood on your dress and basically gives her a kiss and like leaves and doesn't not really any aftercare and she looks kind of dazed and like confused she's like what in the fuck just happened to me yeah i hate that i just said dazed and confused i'm sorry um (laughs) but she she looks like confused almost scared like what the fuck was that (laughs) you know yeah i mean like you know losing your virginity especially as an adult can like be super disorienting yeah like it's just a weird time yeah she looks shocked (laughs) like what was that you know yeah but to your point you know I th- I think that she has agency and she she understands after he explains like what it I, I, he, we don't see him explain what it is but he shows her what to do and like she ends up wanting sex all the time with him and like if she is supposed to be someone who is quote 
easily manipulated and childlike, which is saying something without saying it, that I think that gives her more agency over her body and we are able to see, okay, she can make sound decisions for herself and she knows what she wants. Yeah. And what she wants is Jan. And that was like, I guess where I'm coming from where like, you know, at first, you, I, I guess at first I thought like maybe he is, but I guess I saw her like getting, having like that agency and like consenting to this. I don't, I don't know. Maybe I'm, I don't know. I, this sounds terrible <laughs> when I'm saying it out There's loud. no easy way to talk but, about it because like <laughs> it could be terrible if you look at it one way versus another. Yeah. Like the movie, I mean. Yeah. And like. Obviously, a lot of the implications are pretty weird, especially when he is paralyzed and he, after Dodo, her sister-in-law, um, says, you can do, you can tell her to do anything and he'll do it. He, you know, I think he thinks he's doing her a service by saying, you need to get out of here. You need to have sex with other men because you need to get over me and like, you need to experience the world. And, you know, I think his intentions were like, he thought they were good. But for someone like her who maybe takes things literally or isn't totally clear on what he's asking for, it was like she threw herself into some like fucked up situations. Yeah. And to me, when when I was watching it at first, it seemed like he was trying to live out some weird fantasy. Um, uh, not weird, I guess, but no, in this context, weird. Like a... <laughs> no, it's weird. Like, it's weird. Like, you know, I I was trying to take it back because obviously I think, like, if two consenting adults come to the decision where, like, they're like, yeah, let's open this up and, you know, go have sex with other people. I want to hear about it. And that's, like, their kink. Cool. In this context, she obviously did not want to do that. And he kind of pressures her into it. And and at, at least at first. Um, and the afterwards, we when she starts getting into it, it's because she thinks it's saving Jan. Which is, like, what's fucked up there is that he's like, it'll save me or, like, help me with my brain because he's obviously incredibly depressed and is like, I want to die because this is not a way to live. And he's like, I think he thinks he's like, oh, she'll, this is a way for her to kind of, like, slowly get over me. I didn't take it that way but, at first. Oh, yeah, really? Yeah, because he says, he says, like, if I forget how to have sex, then I die, which I thought was really strange. Like, I understand he means, like, if I forget what it feels like to, like, feel good and, like, have fun, I guess. But, like, he only said the sex part and focused on that. And yeah. she's like, I don't want to have sex with anyone else. He's like, no, you have to. It'll save me. I felt like that, you know, I heard her sister saying she's easily manipulated and she'll do whatever you want her to do yeah that's what it felt like to me it felt like it felt creepy like he was pressuring her and maybe that wasn't the intention but that's just how i saw it i'm like she said no dude like she doesn't want to and you saying well if you do this it could save me that's manipulation and you're doing the thing it's incredibly it is incredibly manipulative yeah, you're like doing the thing that everyone says you're doing do i think like at a point I, I think maybe at a point of of switch flips and he we do see that he's actually doing it because he loves her and late and I mean he really shows that later on in the movie oddly enough when he like steals her body <laughs> and it's because we sorry about my dog he's such a brat Cosmo Cosmo <laughs> said feed me bitch <laughs> <laughs> We do, we, I think that he does that because earlier in the movie we see um, a funeral, which women cannot attend, but she, she sends Jan over to the funeral to see like what's going on, I guess because like she's curious and they're fucking like damning this person that they're burying to hell. Even though I think Jan does not believe in that at all, um, I think that he steals her body as kind of like being like you're not gonna go to hell thank you for doing all that you did for me and you're not gonna go to hell even though I yeah don't and like that. i think that's why this movie is so complicated because it's like he is manipulating her but he does love her and it's a very weird way and like i think everyone like i think bess and him think they're doing the right thing in the most naive way possible 
Like, I think Jan is incredibly naive, too. Like, I think he is. I mean, obviously, he's more experienced than her, but I think he is still naive. I think there's a lot of, like, naivete? Sorry, words. Naivete. Naivete in this movie from both of them who think they know what they're doing to help the other person, but it's incredibly destructive, which is like they're a codependent relationship. Like it's kind of a textbook codependent relationship here, taken to an extreme, obviously. But Von Trier doesn't make it like so cut and dry. Like he's a bad person and she's dumb, but he definitely complicates it a lot. Cause like this could very much have been like a melodramatic movie where like a guy is taking advantage of. And like a innocent woman who isn't super experienced and he's like, go fuck all these people. Like that's what the, some of the su- summaries of this sound like. Like it sounds like very pornographic mm. when this movie is like the opposite of pornographic. <laughs> like there's a lot of sex in it, but it's not fun sex. It's all, it's all like repulsive. So yeah, I think this could have very easily been like melodramatic, but I think it's so much more complex and can like weird and asking a lot of bizarre questions that I don't think had like again we talk about these movies like don't doesn't have an answer necessarily especially because at the end she ends up dying because of what she's trying to do for him and like it's a weird like martyring herself almost for him like she knows what she's doing and you know there's this weird connection if you think about it like oh maybe her sacrifice did make him better which is fucked but I think there is that implication a little bit, I think an implication there that like her mm-hmm. ultimate sacrifice is what made him better. Um, but she basically murders, martyrs herself for this man by getting absolutely like horrifically gang raped by some disgusting men. And yeah, and it's just very weird. <laughs> I want to touch it on a couple of those okay. points. Let's do like, it. Um, so I didn't think he was at all naive. I think that it was actually very pointed that he looks so much older than her. Um, because I think it's supposed to show like he, he knows what he's doing. You know, I, 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 I can't say for sure. Um, and that might just be a matter of how you view it, which is kind of the fun of a lot of his movies. Um, because you could see it one way or the other. And I think that's a theme with most of the movies that we talk about on this show. And you're not wrong either way. You know? Like, you could see it as he's this fucking evil overlord husband who, like, you know, assaults his wife vicariously through other dudes. You could also see it as, like, a feminist film with her taking back her own agency and... You, you could see it a, a whole bunch of different ways. And th- I think that's why I like talking about these movies so much. I like talking about his work so much because he's, a, you said the word exactly complicated. He is a complicated guy making complicated movies with very, very complicated characters. And I think that makes film interesting. I, I don't like like a cut and dry, um, I'll spell it out for you. This guy's the villain. This girl's the hero or whatever. I mean, once in a while, sure. But I think that these kinds of movies are more realistic because, you know, I while I don't think he was naive at all, I don't think he meant to hurt her Yeah, necessarily. I, I, I think that he wanted to live out a fantasy without hurting her in some in his own strange way. And I I can't, like, really... Ra- That's the thing, right? I can't really wrap my head around it because, again, you can see it multiple ways. And while I was sitting here listening to you describe how you, like, analyze the movie afterwards, it did make me recontextualize all of the things that he did and said and, like, you know. Um, and I was like, hmm, maybe, maybe it was all just purely out of love and he really did just want her to be happy with some other guy you know, and, like, taking care of or, yeah. or whatever, you know? Yeah, and I think what's really important in that is that they don't ever really share how they met. Like, they yeah, keep true. it very no, I don't, vague. I don't think they do. And so you don't really have the context of, like, how they met and, like, how, you know, they, you know, who seduced who, etc. So I think, like, that 
in that way, it leaves a lot of room for interpretation because you don't know how things went down and you don't really have like the full kind of answer, which I think again is the point, but it's hard to know because you don't get the kind of like how they met, where they met, why, etc. So I think that just adds a whole other like weird layer to this where you're like, what is he doing? And I think he doesn't really know what he's doing. Like I think he knows sometimes what he's doing, but I also think like after he gets hurt, he's just like, the fuck am I doing? Yeah, I don't know. I just, I think I saw him in a more positive light than you, which sounds shitty because like, I don't know if positives, positive, positive is the right word, but yeah, I just kind of like had a very, but it's interesting to hear your interpretation too. Again, like I think these, but I think all of his movies are going to lead to those kinds of things where we might have different opinions about like his characters, but in a good thing, in a good way, because that actually leads to like a better discussion about these movies and what he's doing. And is he creating an empowering movie or does he just hate women? Because I have a lot of feelings about his way he treats women in his like later movies. And I was trying to like Me think too. about that while I was watching this. I'm like, is this meant to be some kind of empowering thing or is it just like brutalizing a woman? Is it both? I think it's probably both because I don't. Yeah, I think she's trying to reclaim her sexuality, but I don't think she necessarily knows what that means. I think she's doing it in a way where she is like, this is how you do this, right? Like, when she goes to pick up men at the bar, um, and she she wears, like, this ridiculous outfit, like, with these, like... Yeah, well, that's what I was gonna say. Like, her... (laughs) She she borrows an outfit from her friend, and it's, like, an... It's a wild outfit. She's wearing, like, a top (laughs) with, like, these leather, red leather shorts with, like, a white one of those like white kind of like punky looking belts that have like the the metal divots and there's the two holes on top of them and like it looks just and then she's wearing like these tights and she looks completely different from how she looks and she's mistaken for a sex worker multiple times which is unfair but like the the way she's dressing men are like how much (laughs) throughout the whole rest of the movie yeah and like she goes to a bar and is like this is how i meet men right and like takes like buys a beer but she doesn't really drink and like takes a sip and like randomly starts talking to a guy and it's like hello like she's very forward in a way that like in a way that is someone who doesn't really know what she's doing but like respect at the same time (laughs) i'm just like going up to a guy and being like what's up (laughs) i i was like you know what it's not a great situation, but respect that she just like went up to him and was like, hello. <laughs> and and she drives him home on the motorcycle. Oh my god, I love like he's holding on to her in the back and I was just yeah. like It's like this big, like uh just huge guy <laughs> holding on to like, this little I know. <laughs> oh, it was so that, funny. Like it gave me I a think chuckle. it's pointed though. Yeah, exactly. Like, I, I'll be honest, when I first watched this, I didn't really necessarily think of a lot of it as her reclaiming her agency, like, her, uh, over her sexuality at all. Because I was more focused on figuring out in my own brain how I felt about Jan asking her to even do this. Mm-hmm. And then I was thinking about um, her relationship with God and stuff, which we will get into. But I do think that that's actually pointed because that's the thing about like a Lars von Trier movie, right? There's nothing in there that you don't like that shouldn't be analyzed. He wants you to look at everything and then draw your own conclusion. And like, there's not, there's not going to be anything. There's not going to be a frame of something that isn't there for interpretation, mm-hmm. in my opinion, anyway. So I think that it is pointed that she is the one like carting him around. I mean, in the next scene, we see them having sex and she's crying, but I still think that... I think that she's more crying because she feels guilty because she loves him so much. That's what I thought. And she says that multiple times. Yeah. And, like, that also brings in some weird things with consent, though, of, like, she's doing it, but is it coercion? You know what I mean? Yeah. Because the only person she seems to actually want to have sex with is her doctor her like therapist maybe yeah i I think just because like she trusts him and knows him so she's like oh yeah like we can have sex because like you'll be you'll be cool right and then it's like yeah and i'm so cynical that i was like oh he probably will i but i also thought i I also thought that though yeah and and instead and that's what i like about um these kinds of movies too like there's always going to be something that surprises you he's like 
nope, that is unethical. You need to leave. Like, we can talk in my office. But I will say he does then adopt, like, a weird fatherly thing that like i you know in a lot of horror movies this happens where men are like i will save her from herself and like makes a lot of shitty assumptions about her unable to care for herself or like make decisions because she was institutionalized um well at least that's how i interpreted it like you know everyone she has a reputation with everybody and i think it's like both from experience but also them being shitty but he takes this responsibility where he like convinces Jan to sign her over to go to a mental hospital and he like convinces him that she shouldn't be near him and like shouldn't be around him and that it's better for her to go away and this guy's like I know what's best for her I'm like who even fucking are you like fuck you (laughs) (laughs) but I will say had she gone to the institution she would not have made that sacrifice at the end and it is a sacrifice like we didn't talk about this but she already was on that ship um yes and the guy the guy got a little too aggressive with her and she escaped by um stealing a stealing one of their guns and like pointing it at them and kind of backing away and locking them in a room right yep and he he yells out no one will believe uh what, uh, what does he say? No one's going to believe a hooker. a hooker. Yeah. And that's what I was saying before. Like, everyone, I mean, her family, I think that's what they think is happening, that she's become a sex worker, even though that that isn't that doesn't seem to be the case. But, so, because we see her escape that way, we know when she, so she escapes, right? She goes to church and speaks up in the church like while a sermon is going on she gets banished from the church which her mom had told her yeah you do her not want to do under yeah she she's like you do not want to do that under any circumstances you will like regret it for the rest of your life because your life will be so difficult so she goes she tries to go home when she gets kicked out of the church and her mom won't open the door won't let her in and and she's being harassed by a group of teenagers like preteens who i think they're saying are i do not want to say the word but they're like calling her slow right in a oh i thought they said tart well that's what i thought they were saying like are are they trying to like use the r slur no 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 i think they were trying to like shame her for like sex because of the way she was dressed Okay. That's so how I got I, it because they said it with a T rather than another letter. That would make it more of a slur in my head, but maybe I'm wrong. But I thought they were like calling her that because of the way she was dressed and her being like a perceived sex worker. Okay. So I misunderstood that completely. I thought they they were making fun of her. Her like, I, I, we don't even know if she has like a, um, like a, some kind like of like disability learning disability all. or like a developmental thing. Like, <laughs> It's never really... Yeah, that's what I thought they were doing. They're throwing rocks at her regardless. <laughs> and they, they like, chase her all the way home. And her mom won't let her in. She she passes out. We see her pass out when she's under a lot of pressure, like, multiple times throughout the movie. And um, when she wakes up, she goes back to the church, right? Or, no, her sister, like, says, her sister, like, says that Jan is, like, not doing so great or something like that. And she makes, you see her make the decision in her head. You can see her, like, wheels turning. She's like, I know what I have to do. And we see her going back out to the boat. So when we see her go back out to that ship, we know already that that is going to be a huge mistake on her part. Yeah. Like, I said out loud, I was like, well, now they're going to be even worse than they already were. I know. I saw that and I was like, well, I guess this is the end for her. Yeah, I didn't actually and, think she was going to die. I just thought she was going to get, like, traumatized for life. Yeah, I didn't think she was going to die either. In fact, in the beginning of the movie, I, I made a prediction. I was like, oh, I think the twist, because I, I went in blind with this. Yes, yeah, so I did I. Like, oh, I, I think the twist is going to be that he asks her to kill him, maybe. Oh, like, him I also misery. thought that. Or, like, he was going to 
um, successfully, not successfully, but like he was going to have another suicide attempt. And so he would, instead of just, uh, you know, have attempting to, attempting suicide, he completes it. And that's what I thought was going to be. And she was going to be like absolutely destroyed and like do something weird because he, he completed a suicide, but nope. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's the for lack of a better term fun because there's always gonna be a surprise <laughs> like that did not go how you thought at all surprise it's really much worse than you could have expected <laughs> yeah jesus it is a true sacrifice on her part because i think she goes into it knowing well, yeah, and like end the movie is divided into chapters, and this chapter is called Bess's Sacrifice when she goes back to the boat and loses her life. Like it's it's kind of like hinted at like something something's about to fucking happen. I know, and you're just like <laughs> screaming like no. And you're like, please don't do it. It's just one man. You don't need to do this for one man. <laughs> like he's for any man. For any man, it's not worth it. <laughs> it actually brings me to my next point if that's okay of course something that i think that most people probably don't focus on with this movie at least that i have seen um in reading about it after is the religious aspect yes did you as a fellow horror person i don't know if anyone found our podcast like not through our social media or whatever but for anybody who doesn't know, we both come from like a horror film background. Yeah, I I am a I am an editor in chief of a horror site now, which is fucking weird. So like we are horror people. Just selfish selfishly plugging my job. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't say where it was. Oh, Dread Central. And yeah, and I've written a lot um, about horror films, like for various genre sites. Yes, you um, have. So as horror people. Did you not get the most Saint Maud vibes? Yes! I was like, this could so easily be a religious horror movie. Like, these dudes were so... And it is. It's religious. It is very much a religious horror movie. Like, it's got big vibes. And it's just, like, these men controlling these... She's, talking to herself. Yeah. And exactly... Well, exactly... Okay, so this is... I, I wanted to talk about this. Because, so, you know, you have... Something interesting to me is, like, when you have people who are talking to God and they're, you know, using the voice of God. And in the plot description we read, it was like, she thinks she's actually talking to God. And obviously, like, there is that interpretation. I got it another way is like a manifestation of her anxieties. And she's like, she's having God tell her what she wants to hear. And it's like kind of like her own inner monologue, but she's saying it's God. And again, like she might believe it's God. Like, you know, again, this is not really explicit. But you know, in a lot of movies, it's mostly like inner monologue and trying to parse things out, but using God as a way to like parse things out. So to give like authority over your thoughts, if that makes any sense, and like kind of either chastise because she's feeling guilty or encourage or like kind of give her direction or like the direction she thinks she should go. Or like, she's blaming herself for his uh, Jan's injury, or she could just think it is the lord himself speaking through her like yet another thing where you could interpret it either way no i agree it i what i was saying before when we were saying like oh it's like a religious horror movie like if you view it from that aspect it is it's at least a horrifying religious movie Mm -hmm. i don't know if i think that she really i think she does really believe the voice that is coming out of her is god Mm mm-hmm I don't know if I don't know if I believe that. And well, like, oh, yeah, no, I didn't believe it was God at all. I was like, no, this is just someone trying to like work out her shit and thinks it's God or it. I don't know. Like, I think I I might be giving her too much credit in this movie. (laughs) Maybe. But. (laughs) okay, so I'm going to hold on to the fact that I just said, I don't know if I believe that. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I think that you really um we're on to something saying that it's like a manifestation of her anxieties and i think it's interesting where when she feels lost and out of control she cannot get the voice to come out of her like she keeps asking god like where are you and she's not hearing anything back yes the reason i say to hold on to it 
And this is part of the Saint Maud thing, right? Is because in Saint Maud, it's it's made a bit more clear. Like I know a lot of people think it's like a tired trope in that movie specifically of like, is it in her head or is it not? I've heard people say that, and I think it's very clear when you watch that movie that it is all in her head, especially the ending. Especially, yeah, especially the ending the ending is like very much clarifies like any kind of doubt you'd have in your head at least that is how excuse me i and i know a lot of people see it that way too it's not i'm not like special like i see it this way <laughs> well that's the thing i think that a lot of people aren't sure for some reason and i think that's the clearest example possibly of any movie that I have seen, at least in the, like, religious horror realm, where it's like, this, I, I guess, spoiler alert for St. Maud, this is all in her head, and the way that it shows that is the very end, like, a split second, um, like, uh, what am I, what am I saying? Like a, last, a split second, second shot. Frame. Frame. Yeah. It, sh- we see her, like, self-immolating. Yeah, she's on fire. Mm-hmm. And then... In this last (laughs) second frame, (laughs) she's screaming in agony, whereas in her brain, it's all very calm and serene, and, like, she's on fire, but, like, everybody's bowing to her, and then in reality, we see she's screaming in pain, and everyone's freaking the fuck out, because they're like, there's ladies on fire on the beach. There is a crazy woman on fire on the beach. (laughs) (laughs) There's a colonial woman on the wing. (laughs) She's turning butter. There's something they're not telling us. <laughs> I didn't think we were gonna get a bridesmaids reference into this one, but I'm so glad we did. <laughs> There's a cool I actually almost butter. started. I almost started the podcast with being like, "We are here to party, party. with the rest, rest of them, <laughs> with the best of them." Yes. <laughs> anyway, that said. I'm wondering if Rose Glass was at all inspired by this movie. Probably not. But you never let know. me theorize. Yeah, you never know. Because um, this movie does the opposite. Where at the we think the whole time this is all in her head, obviously. In right? her head. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. And then the last frame, like, well, not frame, but last, like, few moments we actually see nope there is a definitive heaven ringing bells and the people in the real world can hear and see the bells i'm sorry and, that was so and, weird i was like <laughs> and like to well, be clear I liked it. The, ch- the church does not like the, there's a part in the beginning where they're yeah. like why don't we have church bells and they're like we don't use church bells blah, 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 blah. and then she's like well i love church bells and then at the end the church bells are ringing because they're like haha look she's going to heaven because she made the ultimate sacrifice and you're like oh shit okay well maybe she wasn't incredibly traumatized she was but <laughs> like it was there was more to it like it wasn't just all in her head like oh it again you could read yeah. it either way he's still wearing a neck brace but like he's they were like he's never he's going to like he's never going to walk again he's never going to be okay and he's like up and walking and just like being a man <laughs> like he's which is also frustrating to me that like this movie at the end is just like a woman must sacrifice was herself for her man and i was like mm, i don't like that super much <laughs> like i don't know i like that yeah, and like again, I obviously liked this movie, but there were some parts where I was like, I don't. Yeah, true. Yeah, I can see why people like. I can. Von Trier's got some weird things going on about women, <laughs> but again, this one was probably more about love. But I still stand by. There's some weird shit going on with how he views women <laughs> in relationships, especially. It's got. It's like weird vibes all around. Just <laughs> like this whole movie has a very bizarre vibe. <laughs> That's breaking the waves, y'all. So uh, you can watch it if you want, or if this was enough for you, that's also perfectly fine. Cause it's it's two and a half hours long, or two hours and forty minutes long. It doesn't I'm I was actually surprised at how it didn't feel super long. Like it's paced pretty well in my in my brain. It's still long as shit, but like it doesn't feel boring. Like it's one of those movies where like okay, I I'm okay with this being two and a half hours long. But yeah, guys. We're we're back. 
Thanks for being patient with us. Um, we're excited to be back and we're alive. Exciting. But this has been Watch Once Never Again. Make sure to leave us a review, like we said at the top, wherever you listen to podcasts. It's really helpful to us. And we would like more ratings that aren't a one-star review telling us how dumb we are. Make sure to follow the podcast um, at Wona Podcast. That's at W-O-N-A Podcast. And if you have thoughts, feelings, or movies we should be watching, you can also send us an email, uh, wonapodcast at gmail.com. You can also follow the two of us on Twitter. I am at MB McAndrews. And I'm at Daxy Bobbin. So once again, everybody, thank you for listening. And we will be back next week with more Laws Von Trier. Bye.